Good morning. Hope you guys are all having a wonderful day. <laughs> uh, today's scripture reading is from the book of Luke, chapters 12, verses 13 to 20. Now, before I read today's passage, I wanted to give a little bit of context. So at the start, Jesus is delivering a sermon to a very large crowd, and as he's speaking, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide his family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, friend, who sent me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to the crowd, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, you know, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. I won't go too in depth on the interaction between Jesus and the man from the crowd, Suffice it to say, Jesus quickly realizes that this man's motivation for interrupting his sermon is one of desire for his brother's inheritance and turns it into a teachable moment, both for the man but also for his disciples. A fruitful harvest, and initially he's surprised by his good fortune, and he realizes that he has little space for his bounty. So... He decides to tear down his old barns and build new ones to more adequately store his harvest. The farmer's surprise turns to happiness as he envisions a blissful retirement. And what makes this parable so interesting is that most everybody can identify with the story. But this same factor can also And that's because the one we can best identify with in this story is the rich fool. You know, if you disregard God's condemnation at the end of the passage, what we hear is a story about a man coming into good fortune and his plans to capitalize off of his harvest so that he can retire and enjoy some sense of security. And, you know, in the society we live in, there's an expectation that you have to go to a college, get a good education, obtain a lucrative job, and then invest and save the money from your job so that you can retire and live out your days without financial burdens. And it's important to note that the farmer isn't criticized by God because he's rich, and neither does he display any obvious cruelty. His faults lie in that he is self-absorbed, and he has faith that money, not a particular devotion or faith in God, will secure him for a happy and enriching life. And because of these factors, the farmer exhibits no gratefulness, takes for granted that he has all the time in the world to enjoy the fruits of his harvest. This, you know, first person pronouns. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And he says, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. 
And this subtlety betrays the farmer's self-centeredness and his possessiveness over his harvest. Upon being blessed with a bountiful harvest, his first impulse is not to be thankful. He takes no time to praise God for his blessings, even though it is because of God that he has received this fortune. Instead, he makes plans on how he can hoard all of his goods for the sake of a comfortable retirement. You know, no thought is spared as to how he can share his wealth and his gift with the others in his community. And additionally, we can infer that he has no next of kin to pass his wealth onto. And the farmer isn't wrong for making plans to secure his future. It's the fact that he chooses to keep his exorbitant profits to himself. Upon receiving his bounty, the farmer assumes also that he will now be able to live out a long life of leisure. He presumes that he has all the time in the world to reap the benefits of his profit. But the tragedy of, it, of this parable, or at least that's how I interpreted it, is that this man doesn't have long to live after the conclusion of the parable. And God says to the man, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And what we can infer from this quote is that that very night that farmer dies. And of course that's up to interpretation as all parables are, but for me the concept of having your life demanded of you is akin to passing on. And what's so sad is that man was so wrapped up in his excitement over the prospect of a blissful retirement that he forgets to consider the brevity and the instability of life. And it's because the farmer forgets this that he forgets God. Being rich towards God became secondary to being rich towards himself. He found opportunity to be a good man of God, to share his wealth, but he sacrifices that chance because he can't see beyond his own desires. And it doesn't matter how old or how rich we are. We're not invincible. We are on this earth for a limited time. And as morbid as it is, we don't know how much longer we'll be here. Every day, and it's up to us as Christians to make the most of every day because we don't know how many days we will have left. For those of you who don't know, I participate in my school's spring musical every year. Preparation for this musical begins in the beginning of December and the musical is normally in the middle to the late March. And last year, during the preparatory stages of the musical, I befriended a girl named Mary. And prior to the musical, you know, I had seen her in the hallways of the high school and the middle school, but I had never gotten many chances to speak with her. But as it happened, we ended up speaking a lot and spending time together backstage while blocking the musical. And there are a few things you should know about Mary. One, she loves giraffes. She loves dancing. She's very good at gymnastics. She is much more flexible than I am, which isn't that hard, but still. <laughs> and she has one of the brightest, most infectious smiles I've ever seen on another person. And Mary also has Down syndrome. And unfortunately, when meeting her and when speaking to her, that's all people can see. And one of the pitfalls of not falling within the norms is that people will find excuses to minimize interactions with you. Backstage, Mary was largely unacknowledged by her peers. A handful might have said hello, but that was the extent of any conversation. 
when sitting in the auditorium, besides myself, my friends, and a couple of others, no one would sit next to Mary. Trouble staying on pitch during a performance, students looked to me or to the teacher's aide to the situation. And the reason I mention this story is that it possesses a significant but also somewhat subversive parallel to the parable. Just as the man was too self-obsessed to consider how he could use his gifts to benefit his community, many of the students in the musical were too concerned with themselves and their own friends to commit to anything more than a shallow conversation with Mary. You know, people don't like having to reassess how they normally approach a conversation for the sake of one person. And that's understandable. It makes them unsteady and insecure. So for the sake of preserving their own ego, they shut out people like Mary. And not only is this detrimental to Mary, because then she's effectively isolated and she's left to feel alone, but it also limits that one person's breadth of understanding and their understanding of other people. And when interacting with Mary, I have to admit, I was a little self-conscious at first because I was out of my element. I'm normally a little bit more reserved at school, which, shocking, I know, but, <laughs> yeah. But Mary is truly someone who lives, and f- lives in and fully enjoys the moment, and that's one of the best things about her. And so she would want to hug whenever I walked up to her, and she danced during bows, which is like on stage with the lights on you in front of other people. So at first I was like, uh-uh, I don't want to do this. But, you know, I ha- ultimately I had to realize that, a lot more fun than me when she was doing that, but her happiness was worth so much more than my self-serving desire to preserve my ego. And when I finally released the tension I was holding on to and enjoyed the time I was spending with Mary, I found that not only had I met an extraordinary person, but my life became brighter and more enriching. And just as the farmer took for granted that he would have all the time in the world to enjoy his retirement, people took Mary's presence in their lives for granted. I almost did, honestly, and I'm happy that I didn't because my friendship with Mary made the long hours of rehearsal five days a week, especially during Tech Week, uh, much more fun. And one other thing that I couldn't help but notice is that during the musical's final week, a handful of people started hanging out with Mary that hadn't before. You know, they were playing games backstage. They were giving her compliments about her hair and her costume. And what I took from this is that there were people who saw her isolation that weren't just focused on themselves. They were alone when she was feeling lonely. And they told themselves that they would talk to her at some other point, but not now. And they would either forget or they'd keep on pushing it off. And in the last week, they realized that the long musical season they thought they had had been suddenly condensed into one week because they had taken for granted how much time and how many opportunities they would have to befriend this girl, Mary. And we do this all the time. If we, just, if we disregard this situation for a moment, you know, we'll tell ourselves that we'll donate to a nonprofit that we believe in but we forget to bring a money or a check on Sunday. So now we have to wait another week just to forget again. 
We finally reconnect with an old friend on Facebook or Instagram, but we keep pushing back a reunion just because life sometimes gets in the way. And even and the situation with Mary. I mention it ju- not just because it's a heartbreaking story on how our reluctance to act and step out of our comfort zone can negatively affect others, but because it's a situation that comes up repeatedly in our lives. You know, where one person is isolated because they're different in some way, shape, or form, and you know, there will be people who look at this person, but they won't spare them a second thought because their own gratification, their friends, and their reputation takes precedence, first and foremost, over, over the, this other person. And there are some people who will see this person, you know, they'll feel bad, and they'll say, you know what, I'll talk to them tomorrow. But then they either forget about the promise they made to themselves, or they'll find a reason or an excuse to push it back. And there are some people who do step out of their comfort zone and talk to this one person. But again, it's often at the expense of their own comfort and they're worried, um, most of them anyways, that people will look at them differently and perhaps not in the best way. And, it, it's so, and we will all encounter this situation numerous times, whether it be in an office, an academic setting, or a place of work. Uh, and we can identify with at least one of the types of people I just mentioned. And you know, what I really hope we take from all of that is that we don't have the, all the time in the world to do the things we want to do or that we need to do. And please, don't be like the kids I mentioned before who waited until the last moment to befriend Mary or who just ignored her altogether. And please don't be like the farmer who never thought about what he could do with the excess wealth he had to benefit his community. Every day we have, and every person we meet, is an opportunity to be rich towards God. But what does it mean to be rich towards God? I believe that we're rich towards God every day, even if we don't realize it ourselves. I believe that we're rich towards God when we say hello to perfect strangers, when we welcome new people into our church with open hearts and open minds, when we ask that one person who's new at work or at school if they would like to have lunch with us, when we take a moment to be thankful for all of the blessings that we have, for the people in our lives, the people we've met, the people we have yet to meet, being rich towards God is a way of life. So please let us take advantage of the time that we have to make an impact however small, because honestly, we don't know how many chances we will get to make one. Amen.